Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. Was it your time at Richmond that you struck up a friendship with Neil Baum? Absolutely. He was a um, uh, he was the sexiest thing going around in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was huge. I mean, you know, everyone wanted everyone wanted a piece of Barmy. And he was long hair and had the best looking girl in the town and all that sort of stuff going on. And we all thought, God, you know, that, that, we're lucky to know him. But he was a bit of a larrikin and uh, he loved the beer and we in those days got away with having a social life as well as a football life and Barmy was, a, uh, he was the head of the pack and uh, we became uh, in, incredibly close, I think for chemistry, a bit of him looking after me and um, uh, the first game we played was at, uh, my game was at Fitzroy, my first game, they'd won the year before in 74 and a fight broke out and I was playing the forward pocket and Barmy was resting at full forward and Sheedy got hit over the head by a bloody umbrella from a spectator or something and the whole thing just went berserk and I, I sort of thought I'd better run down and Barmy said, hey, hey, where are you going? I said, oh, I he said, nah, 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 nah. He said, let, let, you just, let's, let's stay here. And, uh, we, we, there's plenty of action. There's plenty of action going on here when it, uh, when it stops and we might get the benefit of it. Anyway, it, Free kick, us, ball in the square, Barmy takes a catch, kicks a goal. He said, <laughs> see what I told you, champ? <laughs> Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf. Baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. Joined in the studio once again, Malcolm and Pete. Neville Roberts from uh, one of our last episodes of 2022. And, geez, he was great value, wasn't he? Very entertaining, Rocky, as I knew he would be. And, yeah, opened up a few areas. And, yeah, a couple of people like Jeff Wilson and 
didn't know, learned a few things, which is always good feedback. And that's what a lot of these chats with these past legends and past players is all about. You know, just getting a little bit of insight into their career, but also obviously getting, you know, a couple of little nuggets along the way as well. Definitely. Around the Grounds. Today on the Around the Grounds, we're going to have a little bit of a look at the Australian Open, obviously the cricket, a little bit of a look at the NFL or the gridiron. But to kick us off today, we're going to start off with the the basketball, the Adelaide Lightning. Yeah, been around the mark, but just too many nat, close, narrow losses, sitting seventh, three games remaining. So probably struggling to make it, probably a little bit disappointing, but yeah. And same thing with the men's side of things. 36ers have fallen away a bit as well. Yeah, inconsistency. a bit bit similar in that regard. Yeah, definitely around the mark, but uh, yeah, just failing to uh, to get over the line. They've got three games remaining at the moment, 28th January, 16th February at home. So a couple of home games there. And then finishing off against the Sydney Flames away on the 24th of February. So, look, bit of a chance to salvage the season, hopefully with three wins. Uh, We'll keep a bit of an eye on it, but... Yeah, it hasn't been the year for the basketball, has it? No, no, a bit disappointing basketball in the state this year. Adelaide United, the Lady Reds. Yeah, we we had a look at a little bit at the men's uh, last week, but uh, we we said we'd have a little bit of a look at the women's. Um, sitting in fifth, uh, one or two points behind fourth, uh, which is Melbourne Victory. Uh, funny enough, they uh, play Melbourne Victory uh, this coming week uh, here in Adelaide. Um, last game against Brisbane Raw, salvaging a one-all draw. Um, from all, all accounts, or you know, they were a bit lucky to get out of that game, but they halved the points, which keeps them in the hunt. Keeps them alive. They'd lost their previous three, so they'd fallen away a bit after a good start. So hopefully salvaging the draw last week gets a kick start. Yep. Uh, two points behind Melbourne. If they beat Melbourne victory, we go in front of them. So, yeah. It starts to look all right. And yeah. then there's a little bit of separation there once... Uh, well, hopefully that win comes about, but you know there's a little bit of separation from the top five right through to about seventh, so Huge which is pretty good. Week. And there's nine games to go in the season, so there's a little bit of wiggle yeah, room there, but, but certainly for sure they're a lot closer. All right, mate, we move on to the women's cricket, the one days and one day internationals and the T20s are currently playing a series against Pakistan. Yeah, and look, I'll be honest, I had a look at a bit of the game on Monday. Look, Phoebe Litchfield, fantastic start, yet to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. You know, 150-odd runs in two games. So, yeah, gets out for a globe next game, can retire and have a better average than Bradman. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, look, they're a far better side than Pakistan. They're doing well, the job. Yeah. This is really what it gets down to, that Australia and India are really probably the two strongest women's and nations. England, England, England yes, well. England as well. Yeah. Um, so it's probably not surprising that Australia win by 10 wickets no. in their first game. Obviously, they play... Uh, 10 wicket was today. They won today, by sorry. nine wickets yesterday. Yesterday, so, yeah. Uh, eight wickets, sorry. Yep. Meg Lemming got out right at the end. So as part of the series, obviously, they've got a T20 against Pakistan yeah. coming up on the 24th uh, at North Sydney Oval. You'd probably expect them to, to go through that reasonably well. Uh, again, some good batting practice, some good bowling practice, try things out. Um, but then um, just... Looking a little bit more locally, we've got the uh, South Australian Scorpions uh, playing at Karen Rolton Oval on the uh, 19th and 21st of January. Yeah, and they've been pretty good. A couple of good wins over in WA, uh, a couple of close games. They won in a super over finish and then got up right at the end in the other game as well. So getting home there too, you know, always good results against WA, always around the mark as well. So, um, yeah, a couple of good starts and hopefully they'll kick on at Karen Rolton. 
Certainly. Well, we'll keep an eye on those women's scores over the next week or so, and uh, hopefully we're smiling at the end of it, mate. Yeah, All right, mate. So let's come back after the break. Yep. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. We've got the, the tennis. It's well and truly underway. Nick Curious pulling out for day one, a big loss for the tournament and the crowds. Yeah, uh, look, uh, you know, Australian Open, uh, obviously the biggest Grand Slam uh, event certainly down this way in Australia. But, um, yeah, a little bit disappointing to see Nick pull out. Uh, look, he hadn't had the ideal warm-up. Whether this knee injury was part of that warm-up or whether it was a case of hadn't played enough, tried to do a little bit, wasn't around the mark and went, nah, it's just not for me. I'm not 100% sure what it is. But, you know, really at the end of the day, the supporters are the ones that are going to miss out. I mean, he is a showman. I mean, you go there for the entertainment. Now, whether he blows up like a volcano or plays scintillating tennis, you never know what you're going to get. So you're on the edge of your seat. So it is a little bit of a bum. bum You always are with Nick because you just don't know what you're going to get. And you, you always wonder with injuries, you know, he's probably never been a great person at carrying an injury. Yep. Planets have got to align from the place. So there's always a bit of a question mark. Uh, certainly heading home to Canberra to have uh, a little bit of surgery, I believe. So, yeah. look, uh, he could be off off the circuit for a couple of weeks. But, you know, he doesn't play a whole lot of tournaments oh. during the year either. So when these injuries do come about, he's not exactly conditioned to be oh. recovering and, like you said, carrying those injuries. Uh, mate, we, um, we're, we're recording this a little bit earlier in the week than we normally do, but Nadal uh, goes out today, yeah. which is huge. In straight sets. In straight sets. Again, injury has has got him. Enzy McDonald, I think. Correct, from yeah. from America. Interesting name. Yes. Might not like looking at the baby, the parents. Enzy <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> Once again, it, it, it just injuries are, are, are really playing a big part at the moment. Yeah. Is it time for the ATP and the WTA just to shorten some events? I know each city wants to have their uh, their, their cake, so to speak, um, but... You know, the Grand Slams are where you want the best playing and we're having them pull out for injuries or almost forfeit because of injuries. Uh, it's not great. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's There's not an easy answer to that. Are they doing enough conditioning work themselves over the Christmas time? Well, I mean, they get to the end of the year, they want a break. That's the thing. I don't don't blame them. It's a a hard one. It really is. It certainly is. Um, Australians are largely doing quite well, obviously, surviving round one. Um, We just watched uh, Kubler uh, go out against uh, Kashnikov um, in four sets. That wasn't too bad. There was certainly uh, opportunities there as well. He did at the start of the third set. He was right on top into the second the third when we were watching it earlier before uh, starting the show. Yep. And, yeah, he certainly had some chances. Milman is down against Medvedev at the moment. Set Sorry, two sets to love. And I can't quite find Tanasi Kokonakis' score, but I'm pretty sure he has advanced. He'll actually play Andy Murray in the next round. And, gee, he struggled in the last round as well. Well, he looked gone. He looked If that match had gone five more minutes, he wasn't going to get out of it. He looked like his calves were really playing up. So... Yeah. It's going to be an interesting second-round opponent up. for sure. Mate, we move on to cricket. I'm going to throw over to you about the men's cricket side here in SA. Look, strikers, yet again, really disappointing. You know, they, they look good. You know, we won the Tuesday night, handled Melbourne Renegades pretty easy, come, you know, come back, and then really have just fallen in a hole, a huge hole against... 
the Stars in Melbourne. Then the really disappointing one was on Saturday, on Saturday mm-hmm. here against Brisbane, where they just batted atrociously. But my other big beef is Spencer Johnson. He's a South Australian kid, West Torrance, West Torrance left armour quick. I think he should have played shield cricket by now. He has had some injury problems, but should have been a shield side. But for me, he was always going to be a handful for 2020 cricket. And yet Why he's at Brisbane. And you wonder on that. Nathan McSweeney gets picked for South Australia starting off in the one-day format. Mm. Did very well. Gets picked in the shield side. And he actually had come to South Australia winning a Brisbane Player of the Year. But because of their batting, Kawaja, um, Labashane, yep. Burns, Street, had left out and came here for again. If he's not a better 2020 player than Henry Hunt, I'm walking on in a different world. And that's nothing against Henry Hunt. I'd actually love to see Henry Hunt not playing 2020 cricket and just staying and just playing like keeping himself for Sheffield Shield and hopefully be Warner or Kawaja's replacement. Yep. That's for me. He, he's the last person who should be trying to play 2020 cricket. So is this a perfect storm? Obviously, Rashi Khan goes back to Afghanistan to play for his country, which is fair enough. But again, you've only got him for limited time. Chris Lynn is now gone again after starting so well in the tournament. And then a couple of little selection issues. Is it the perfect storm that's really got them in this situation? And again, Doggett, for mine, was it, is it playing here for it? We recruit him from Brisbane for the for the Redbacks. Yep. Again, a bit of extra pay. I think from, again, watching, and I said it before the tournament, I thought he was the best South Australian bowler yep. playing currently for South Australia to play 2020 cricket. Yep. I reckon that might have turned out to actually be correct. correct. Yeah. Peter Siddle breaks down again. Uh, not ideal. Did buy a copy of my book yesterday, well, so that's very I, important. Well, win, yeah. winner, winner, chicken yeah, dinner yeah, on that one. Um, you know, not ideal. Yeah. Again, it just seems like the perfect storm and um, things aren't aligning. But yet again, they've started well and then bombing right at the end. But is it coinciding with players leaving midway through plus a couple of little selection dilemmas? But then they get head and carry back. So I think they thought, right. It's going to happen. It'll be fine. That's We replaced there yep. and that. Look, I think Hose has been a bit bit of a disappointment. Yep. For mine, he's an average fielder and he's a very poor runner between wickets. So there's two aspects there which are vital for 2020 cricket where he's not doesn't tick the box. Yeah. Well, Matty Short, unbelievable. No, he's, he's having had a a, he's year. had a fantastic year. Yeah. And up until Siddle got injured, he was, you know, bowling quite well too. Yeah. And that that was holding them and then obviously Lynn doing well and we didn't really have to use Rashid for a few games, to be honest with you. And you know, Yes, he has left, but, geez, we could just use a little bit of spark right now. Yeah, it's it's just flat. Mate, do we make the finals from here? That's probably no. my question. No. no. Interesting. Hurricanes are going to catch us? Yeah. Well, although the Hurricanes are 7 for 97 when I looked a few minutes ago, so they're struggling tonight. It's going to be very interesting coming up. And Steve Smith took us yeah, apart the other night. He looked like good. he was back to his best. <laughs> Almost like, you know, he thought, of, well, hey, you know, I could have I could have opened in the 2020 to- uh, tournament. Instead of Finch, I thought there was maybe a bit of a message being put across by Steve Smith there as well. Yep. Wild card weekend. You're you're the you're the man here. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, obviously the NFL, the gridiron. Um, wild card weekend. Firstly, before I get on to some of those games, um, uh, should the AFL introduce a wild card weekend? I'm not convinced about it, but I think they will. Well, I mean, it's made for television. Yeah. You know, the NFL have made this for television and. 
Sometimes you can get a lot of lopsided one um, results. On this occasion, the wildcard weekend was actually very, very good. But yeah. uh, it's got us down to, obviously, the um, the final eight teams. And um, Jacksonville taking on Kansas City. Um, Cincinnati Bengals taking on Buffalo Bills. Uh, New York Giants and Philadelphia Eagles. And the last one would be San Francisco 49ers and Dallas Cowboys. Uh, some interesting seedings along there, along the way there. Again, uh, Super Bowl weekend is coming up. It's yeah. the biggest sporting event in the world. It is huge. Um, well, look, even college footy over there. We, we yes. saw the end. I was out and about, you know, a um, couple of Sundays ago, and actually, by pure chance, with an American guy who was right into it, and a lad had the, sh- the f- shot for the field kick you know, right at the end. And he kicked it like I would have missed by plenty. Yep. So yeah, he wasn't happy with that. So yes. Look, certainly at this stage, Kansas City and uh, San, uh, sorry, uh, Philadelphia Eagles look like the two teams that might make it all the way. But it just throws up some interesting results. But just going back on that, the Buffalo Bills player that had a heart scare yeah. on the ground yeah. was oh. unbelievable. Oh. Live television, let yeah. alone you know what happened afterwards and. Thoughts go out to him and his family, but has made a reasonably good recovery, and it was one of those ones that, that they had all of the protocols. And this probably gets us back to the AFL. I mean, it's such a physical sport where, you know, these guys are wearing padding and everything else. Yes, he got hit in the wrong spot at the wrong time, which could happen to anybody, but, gee, the safety protocols for, for professional sport these days is just huge, isn't it? Yeah, it is big, and look, it's only concussion, Yeah. The big thing and other things, legality of injuries, it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, We'll cover concussion a little bit later in our Extra Time Big Finish, but yeah, certainly it is becoming bigger and bigger, but we'll keep a bit of an eye out over the gridiron. We didn't give you a big rundown of the gridiron this week. We wanted to just sort of touch on it leading up to the Super Bowl, and obviously once we get into that, we'll, we'll cover it in a bit more depth. Yep, Pete, that's your speciality, Pete. No worries, buddy. All right. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Past players, past legends, past legends. Welcome back to our past players and past legends. Today we've certainly got one of Adelaide's finest past players and past legends, Mark Bickley. Welcome, Bix. Now, casual 272 games for Adelaide. Runner-up for BNF. In in ninety three thirty ninety two model of consistency ten in the top ten in the BNF in your eleven out of your thirteen seasons fifty three games also for South Adelaide so well of course South Australian football Australian Football Hall of Fame but we'll cover all that a bit later welcome aboard Vix hey, good afternoon guys how are you great thanks mate let's go back to the start playing in Port Perry. Yeah, look, it was a um, a great breeding ground for me growing up there, and I still, my family was heavily involved in the footy club. You know, dad had coached, and mum was involved on all the, the various committees that um, that families often did. And so, pretty much, my earliest memories are, are kicking around at the footy club and going to training and and watching training. So um, there wasn't sort of many days of the week in footy season where you know I didn't have a footy in my hand or you know, getting there early at training with the, the older blokes and having a kick with them. So, you know, the old adage about 
you know, having a footy in your hand all the time and kicking it and that sort of 10,000 hours of mastery, I'm, I'm certain that had sort of something to do with, you know, having that great feel for the footy and, and um, yeah, always wanting to get your hands on it. Of course, Bix, too. So you played, played you know, at Solomon Town, then ventured down to North Adelaide. Give us a view what uh, thoughts back then for a yeah. couple of years. Yeah, so I, so I started playing senior footy in the country when I was 16. So I had a couple of seasons in Puri and, and um, I guess caught the attention of North Adelaide, who we were zoned to at the time. So, um, and of course, North were really strong. Uh, you know, they played, I think, uh, 87, you know, they were in the grand final and, and Nick Noonan and, you know, all the Jarman brothers and those great players, David Wildey. Um and so after a couple of seasons in the country, I, I came down and trained with North for a little while, but um, sort of played one or two trial matches, but didn't really fit the mould that sort of Mick Noonan was sort of looking for. And, you know, the highly skilled, uh, you know, beautiful kick and, and all that sort of stuff. And he, he basically said, probably you're better off looking elsewhere. So... Um, I sort of went back to Port Pirie after doing the pre-season with North Adelaide. A little bit disappointed, but uh, probably because of that sort of extra fitness and the, doing that pre-season with North, had a really good year that year and won, won the, the association. Yep. Yeah, the, the Madigan medal it was in Port Pirie. So I think I was 18 or 19 at the time. So at that stage, uh, South Adelaide uh, was being coached by John Reid. John Reid had coached in the, the SGL competition where I was playing, so still had a lot of contacts in Port Pirie and Port Augusta. And they said, you need to have a look at this young bloke in Port Pirie and South Adelaide. We're at the, the opposite end of the scale to North. I think in 1988, they'd only won one game. Yep. Uh, they weren't all that financial. So they sort of they said to me, look, come down. We can't pay you a whole lot, but we'll help you find a job and get this sorted out with the place to live. So um, I came down with another Port Pirie a uh, player called Mark Aldrich, who was a, a great mate of mine as well, and we sort of moved in together and, and so sort of played in that first year in 1989 at South and, and fortunately was able to, to work my way into the the first, you know, right from the start and, uh, and stayed in there all year, which was nice. It was, you only played two years at South, but 53 games, so you certainly played obviously virtually every game. Yeah, did miss a game there. Played the first three games in 91 as well. So when the Crows were formed, yep. I missed out on making the side and then played the first three games in 91, uh, which incidentally, uh, South sort of ventured back into the finals that year. Uh, and because I played the first three games, I qualified. So we played two finals, but unfortunately they were both sort of losing finals and um, and I hardly got a kick. So that wasn't, wasn't a great... Um, thing for South or me for that matter. I didn't, wasn't able to come back and play as well as I would have liked. And um, that was the year, of course, with the, the bloodbath uh, grand yes. final. Mm. And Daryl Hart kicked seven or eight goals, I think it was, and, and North won another flag. And and obviously being at South Adelaide there and, and John Reid being your coach, uh, it certainly helped tickle things over with the Crows as well. Yeah, look, um, initially... Uh, Reedy wasn't a huge rap for the Crows, you know, as I think a lot of the Sandful coaches weren't, because when the uh, the Crows came in, they were a composite yeah. side. They decimated a lot of the the teams, and also the the mechanism between sort of when you didn't get picked for Adelaide, you'd go back and train on a Thursday night, uh, play on the weekend, but then you'd go back to Adelaide and train sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it wasn't an ideal setup. So initially, a lot of the coaches 
um, you know, Neil Craig was a coach. He made it yes. quite difficult for some of the Norwood players. You know, I don't think they were they were overly uh, wrapped with that system. Um, but uh, I guess later on, I think it was 1995, you know, after John had finished coaching and had a bit of a stint in the media and doing some commentary, he found his way to to the Adelaide Footy Club uh, as the footy manager. And, and he was brilliant in that role. You know, he's had a great footy knowledge. He... Um, uh, you know, it's pretty tough with the players, which at that stage I think I think we needed in terms of keeping us sort of focused on what we needed to be focused on. There's a lot of distractions, as you know, when we first come into the competition. That was, you know, a really great role for John, and he's been been a constant throughout my career, really. You know, attracting me to Adelaide. You know, then through those sort of really pivotal years, you know, where we had success at Adelaide, he played a major role in it, and then you know, obviously he's still involved with the club now, and he's a, he's a great friend. Still with the the SNFL and, and South Adelaide, you know, growing up in that uh, late eighties, who, who were some of the teams and players that you got to play against that you you just stood back in awe and said, "Wow, I'm I'm on I'm on the ground with these guys." Yeah, well, when I was, I grew up in Port Pirie and I was a massive Port Adelaide fan, if you can believe that. And um, you know, Russell Ebert was my hero, and, and uh, so when we played Port Adelaide, they were really strong in. 89 and 90 and you know Scott Hodges was at the absolute peak of his powers and, and I think we played South two or three times in, in that year and he had an unbelievable year and I think he might have kicked 10 and 12 and 8 you know that's the year that he I think he dominated and kicked 150 yeah. goals yeah. yeah so so he was you know at his top he was just such a such a physical specimen he was big he was powerful he could kick it a mile he would Aerially, he was great. And, of course, Port were a good team as well. And, you know, they were hard and tough and they, they got to him quickly. And so, you know, he, he was a great player. But also, you know, in those early years, you know, playing against Glenelg. And um, I played on uh, Kim Hodgman, uh, who was just coming back on the other side of, yeah, you know, being North Melbourne, Melbourne Peter Carey. You know, some of those all-time star players. My mum, Barrett, for Glenelg. So she was, was always following those you know, Glenelg pretty closely. So to, to play on the back end and play against those guys was amazing. Chris McDermott, of course, and some of those great Glenelg players that, you know, came through and had some success in uh, 85, 86. So they were still playing. Um, and and blokes like Bruce Lindsay, you know, who was a just such a, a South Australian champion. Michael Aish was another one. You know, all those players, uh, you know, they were probably 30, 31 in their careers. So 10 years earlier when I was a, you know, an 11 or 12-year-old, they were sort of dominating at, at sample level and playing state footy and all those things. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a great competition and, you know, really thankful that I got an opportunity to play at that level before, uh, you know, the, the AFL came in and, and sort of put its mark on South Australian footy. Now, Bix, you know, footy folklore that you got the last list spot at Adelaide, the 52nd spot. Um, is there any truth in the rumour that there was a, a long run, 10K or so run, you guys did it, got back and timed run and all that, and then Cornsy went, right, go again. And you actually were the yeah. only person who betted your time and that really helped get the last spot, basically your attitude? Now, I'm not sure about that. I can remember the training session um, and there might be something in that. and Maybe it was because I finished towards the back of the group in the first run. So maybe my time wasn't as sharp as some of the others, but 
Um, it, it was a brutal, it was a brutal uh, first couple of years under Graham. Like his mentality was around, um, you know, the, the Victorians think they're better. You know, if they're doing one 10k run, we'll do two. If they're doing, you know, we heard Carlton did a hundred hundred meter yeah, sprint, so or we did a hundred and ten. You know, like mm-hmm. we all, we always did more, and so it was always sort of challenging. It's not just physically, but mentally to be able to. He basically said. Okay, boys, you know, we've had a big night. You've left it all on the track. How would you feel if I said we're going to do that 10K run again? You know, do you think you'd be able to do it? Some people said no. And he said, I'm sure you'd be able to do it. In actual fact, we're going to do it just so I can prove it to you that you can do it. So that's what we did. There was some disbelief and there was some bikes that didn't finish it the second time, but most of them did. Um, and, And probably at the time, that's what was needed because... There was a bit of an inferiority complex, particularly amongst the younger guys. You know, you can imagine, yeah. you talk about Michael Aish and, and Bruce Lindsay being legends. Well, you know, we'd only seen blokes like Dermot Burton and Jason Dunstall and Tony Lockett on TV. You'd never, you know, dream that you're going to be playing against them, you know, in six months' time. So we just needed to make sure that physically we were ready. And, and I guess initially we, we probably didn't challenge, you know, some of those big teams with some of those star players, you know, consistently. But... Over time and, you know, when we realised that, you know, we were good enough and we did have what it takes, then mentally we're able to do it consistently and get some good results. I think a part of that too was back then you played at Windy Hill, Victoria Park, Marab, and, Mm. you know, I Mm. think that played a fairly big part. Now, Bix, you debuted against Eston at Windy Hill? Yeah, that's right. It was a game, it was actually the Crows' first game in Melbourne. Because I think we played round one was Hawthorne was a yeah, win, round two, two was Sydney, round three was back to um, yeah. So back I think Sydney then Carlton then round four was was our first game in Melbourne at uh, Essendon and and it was blowing a gale and 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 Kevin Sheedy famously had tied down the wind so yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to work out um, you know which way the wind was blowing and and we had there's this great story with Neil Curley where we got to the ground and. We were ushered to, you know, Knuckles is at the front. He was the team manager and he said, where's our change rooms? And they sort of sh- took us through sort of under the grandstand to these rooms. And, and North Melbourne were the, playing the reserves game before us against Essendon. And we were using the same change rooms. And they were very sort of primitive, just like a sandful change room, you know, yep. big square room with, you know, 40 hooks on the wall. And all from North Melbourne players had, you know, their bag in front of a hook with all their play with their clothes hanging on the hook with their shoes tucked underneath. And Curls walked in and they said, Here's your room and he said, Well, North Melbourne they've got all these clothes in there. He said, No, nah, we're sh- you're sharing it with them. So Neil said, <laughs> Bloody bullshit, we're sharing it and he literally just walked around and grabbed everyone's clothes, everyone's shoes, everyone's bag and threw it up into a corner. So there was this massive pile of everything in the corner. And he said, okay, boys, grab yourself a hook. This is our room now. <laughs> and as we were running out to go onto the ground, so North Melbourne was sort of waiting for us to come out of the room. And as we were sort of going in the race, you could hear North Melbourne saying, what the hell? <laughs> you know, they'd walk into the room and all there was, was all of their clothes were in this giant pile in the corner of the room, just stacked in a heap. So um, I'm not sure how that went down, but sort of we were out on the oval, so we didn't have to deal with that. But that was... News mentality. He was very combative, and he thought that we deserved our own change rooms, and and you know people had paid their money to come watch, you know the the, the main game, which was Adelaide v Essendon, not to watch the North Melbourne yeah. Reserve. So he had yeah. no qualms at all. They're just throwing all their stuff to one side. Well, this is the second story we've heard about Knuckles getting rid of uh, 
the reserves uh, uh, clothes and bags. Uh, we had a story from uh, Victoria Park where he um, decided to uh, throw the, the bags out of the door for you guys. So maybe he's, maybe he's done more work um, uh, instead of the, the coaching box. He was uh, ushering more and more players' <laughs> gear out of the door. Done well. No, look, Neil, Neil was great to have uh, around the place. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, with his passing, um, you know, it does make you appreciate. You hear all the great stories and, yeah. and yep. just to, I guess, to have shared uh, a year with him as a team manager and, um, you know, a great story that, that I can remember was he was the bloke who told me I was in the team, basically, for my first game. So I got the training early and Neil came in and said, I need to see you in my office. So I went in, into his office on a Wednesday night and he said, son, you're going to be playing on the weekend. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this is great. So Graham didn't tell me. It was Neil that told me. Is it true and you didn't have you didn't have a con- contract? Yeah, that's right. And 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 so obviously, I well, as you mentioned, I was one of the last ones picked, and there were six of us. They ran out of money basically when they um, when they were, were giving everyone contracts. So there were six of us uh, who they basically said, "You're on the list, but we can't actually pay you. So you'll have to miss you play a game. You won't earn any money this year." T- task and was so, one as well. Task was one. Yes. Yes, we already yeah, had Task on the show. Yeah, Tech was another one. And so he said, come into my office. And he, I went into his office and said, you're playing on the weekend now. You've got to sign this. It's a contract and you haven't got a contract yet. So in my head, I can remember thinking to myself, oh, you know, there's rule 101, never sign anything you haven't read. And I, I remember getting up the courage to say to Neil, I said, Neil, um, do I need, I don't have a manager. Do I need to get someone to have a look at it before I sign it? He said, son, I don't care who reads it. It ain't changing. And if you don't sign it, you're not playing. I said, okay, <laughs> I'll sign it. And so I just signed it and pushed it back across the desk. So, um, so you know, and he had a bit of a, a chuckle and, and away we went. So, um, yeah, it, it, he, I guess, once again, we had at different times, you know, um, we wondered whether we would be able to compete strongly on the big stage. But he's one of these people who he makes you walk a bit taller and he, he just oozes self-confidence so to have him involved early on and to reassure and and um you know talk to us about what we needed to do and, and assist graham i think was a, a huge thing for the city club now bix to give everyone a bit of a bit more of an education here was it the era where you worked now you were working as an a sparky apprentice sparky yep. at mitsubishi um, yeah, there were some incredible stories with your shift times and all that. What you did and had to go back and forth. Give everyone a bit of an education there, Bix. Yeah, so so when I I, I came down to Adelaide, um, I was a third year apprentice at the lead smelter in Port Pirie. So one of the things that South Adelaide were able to do was organise for me to get my indentures transferred to to Mitsubishi, which in the old days when we trained at Panther Park was directly opposite, opposite across yeah. the road. So, um, so we did that, and so for the first year, um, that was fine. Uh, then I finished my apprenticeship, and, and um, initially I was just working day shift. Um, but then, when the crows formed, and it sort of unfortunately coincided with this, we had this one or two guys who were really happy to work night shift and afternoon shift, and they both uh, left the the job at Mitsubishi, which meant that. We had to go on this rotating roster, so we all had a couple of turns of doing afternoon shifts and night shifts, and and that made it really difficult to um, to get training. So I went and saw my boss, and and basically he allowed me to sort of have some time off to go to training when I was working afternoon shifts. 
but I had to make the time up basically. So the normal shift for an afternoon shift, you start at four and work till 12.30am. Um, but because I'd leave Mitsubishi at 4.30 to get to Footy Park by five, we'd you know, start training probably around about five, go for two and a half, three hours, get back to Mitsubishi by about you know, eight or eight thirty. So I was having four hours off of work. So I had to come in four hours early. So effectively, I'd start at midday, do four and a half hours, go to footy training, get back at 8.30, 9 o'clock, work through till 12.30 at night, get home, have a bite to eat, wow. get to bed by about 1 o'clock, sleep, get up, go to work. So that was sort of two-week lots. Now, during the year, you know, during playing season, it wasn't too bad. Um, but pre-season, it was just brutal because you're training yeah. so hard. And then the night shift, I, I hadn't worked a lot of night shifts. They'd sort of shielded me a little bit from that. But um, I remember, and this was the end of my uh, my sort of electrician career, was when um, it was round one of 1993. And this is a pretty famous game because it was uh, Tony Modra came in as a late sort of inclusion yeah. after Scott Hodges sort of pulled a hamstring or had hamstring tightness after the last training session. So... That was a Sunday game at the MCG. Mods ended up kicking 10 goals. We had a great win against Richmond. Um, so we flew back into Adelaide that night. I got, I think the plane landed around 9 or 9.30. So by the time I get home, it's sort of quarter past 10. So my shift started at 12.30 a.m. And I had to work through till around, I think it was 7 or 7.30 the next morning. So played a game of footy. You know, hadn't had any sleep or anything like that. So... You go into work and you've got a few things that you have to make sure you have to do. You know, really the night shift is around making sure the ovens and all those things start on time so that when the, the production line's ready to go, everything's up to speed and up to heat and all this sort of stuff. Um, but also while you're there, you also do a bit of other sort of general wiring. And and I remember I started sort of doing this wiring and I was you know, getting a bit sleepy because it was probably two or three o'clock in the morning and you're working on your own, um, which isn't great. So you're not allowed to work on live wires. So you're doing, um, you know, these big panels that are yet to be commissioned. So I started doing that and then I sort of all of a sudden just woke up. I'd actually fallen asleep and where I was working, whilst that cabinet wasn't live, the one next to it was, and I'd sort of fallen into the other cabinet and fallen very close to a a whole heap of live wires, which is incredibly dangerous. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I had rolled over whilst I was yeah. asleep and rolled onto these high voltage wires, I would have been just fried and it would have been four hours before anyone found me. So at that stage, I said to myself, look, footy's getting more and more serious. I just can't be doing these you know, crazy shifts and trying to sort of work really hard and, and also getting the best out of myself playing footy. So, I um, went to the boss and said, no, this is what happened and it's too dangerous and we can't do it and found myself another profession. So I went and worked with SA Brewing for a, a little while. Wayne Jackson was the yeah, the, right. uh, the CEO. Nigel Smart had been working there for a little bit. So um, they organised a job for me there. So I became um, one of the toughest jobs in South Australia at the time, selling West End Draft. And it was about <laughs> the only, only beer you could buy. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, mate, um, in 92, 90, uh, sorry, 93, you uh, runner-up best and fairest. Uh, that's a fair effort after only being at the or in the AFL for a couple of years. You'd be pretty ch- chuffed yeah, about look, that. Yeah, it was. You know, like the first year was really about just establishing myself and I was lucky I came in and played, um, came in in round four and played every game after that. Then in 92, which was, you know, a really good 
season for me again. I think I might have finished third in the best and fairest in my second season, which was good, and then finished one better and second in 1993. And we had a great year that year. And it's probably, when I look back, uh, it's probably the, my sort of best year at the footy club. Tony McGuinness, who was a star, he uh, he won the best and fairest. I think he won it quite comfortably. But, you know, we had, you know, some, some great players that year. And, of course, went sort of deep into the finals and, you know, but for a couple of kicks, could have played in the grand final. So I guess, you know, that was that was good. And then pretty much after that, I just had this a wretched run with injuries for, for two or three years after that before. And the, and the club had a wretched run as well with changing of coaches and that before Blighty came. So, um, yeah, it was, um, 93 was a, a great year. Like I said, McDermott, McGuinness, they were great players. It was the emergence of Sean Wren, you know, um, it was this sort of blend of old and new. So, you know, Mark Rusciuto made his debut that year. So there's lots of great sort of older players who were still sort of in really good form. And then we had this new wave, you know, Nigel Smart, Ben Hart, Mark Rusciuto all coming through. So, yeah, we were, when you look back, that side more than capable of, you know, going all the way, but unfortunately weren't able to do it. Yeah, look, and I know there's a bit of footy folklore of you breaking wind in the Bloody second in the game against Essendon. I've always found that quite bizarre and ridiculous. Let's go back to the the game against Carlton where we kicked poorly for goal. Um, let's be honest, you were a unusual matchup for Craig Bradley, um, mm. and in that game, I think Carlton we butched it. Let's go to the Essendon game. We were seven up at half time. Unfortunately, Sean Wren missed, missed an easy one just before half time, and then Jars missed one of the goal square in the goal square in the in the third quarter. Now that's a tad more important and a bit more relevant to the result than than someone someone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, look, I think the other one is 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 more the uh, the comedic value. Yeah. but you're right, and 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 it's funny because uh, I think after that game. Uh, consciously or subconsciously, a lot of us, well, I, I, I'll speak to myself personally. I thought to myself, you know, as disappointed as we were sort of missing out on going into the grand final um, after the Essendon game, the, the, uh, the, the overwhelming thing was, well, guess what? Next year we'll be back yeah. and yeah. You know, I'll be better and Nigel will be better and Wren and Shudo and Hart and all these great players. You know, we, we're going to do this. But, you know, you just you just never know what what fate is, is going to hold, and um, and so you know when you do look at that game, you know, like I said, you know, Essendon were just coming a bit, and then we we got that sort of opportunity with Jars in front of goal, and I think we we're still five goals in front, you know, and you think if you kick one there, you just steady, and all of a sudden it's back to six goals again, or it's back to five goals, or whatever the, the margin was, and it's just enough to calm everyone's nerves. I think what happened, you know, you get a miss and everyone sort of shoulders slump a bit. They get a kick in and then I think they went down and within the next minute they got another goal and that, you know, the crowd started sort of growing and all those sort of things happened. So, you know, and and, and I guess the irony of all of it is, you know, Andrew Jarman in all my time, you know, like his brother Darren, he's just the most skillful, wonderful player, you know, that you've ever seen. And, you know, I reckon today he could, he could kick that goal, you know, like he, he just, I'm not sure, you know, sometimes it's just, it's a one in a, he misses that one in a thousand, yeah. I reckon. And, and it just uh, happened yeah. to be. He might have missed one for Gazer in a, for an important moment of a prelim final against <laughs> oh, really? uni, uni in it, because it may have been the person 
speaking to you at the moment kept yelling at him, Jars, remember the okay. lot, remember the kick against Essendon, <laughs> remember, and after he's missed, he's turned around and he's told me where to go forward and multiply. No, very I, I can imagine, yes. yeah. yeah. But, but that, that, you know, sort of if butts and candy nuts, isn't it? And, and unfortunately, yeah. that, that was what happened. There, there was other stuff around, you know, Scott Hodges, coming off the ground yeah, when many thought he should have been on the ground. Yep. There's, there's lots of, you know, and that's what happens when you lose. You know, you, yep. you magnify every decision that's made, every handball that's missed, every kick that's missed. Um, and, and I think that's, what, that's what's been happening. And, um, you know, when we think about, you know, success in 98, you talk to, to Wayne Carey and he'll, he'll tell you that he should have won the Norm Smith playing for Adelaide because he kicked five goals for us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. So every North Melbourne supporter rues, you know, the things that they did wrong. But yes. so, you know, Essendon, they were they were a phenomenal team. I think they, when you look back, the Baby Bombers, I think they had, you know, a, a huge number. And a Michael, players Michael Long was unbelievable. Michael Long was yeah. unbelievable. He tore that game apart, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. At, once again, I might have spent a bit of time on him as well. So how was I going? You know, after having a great year, I played on probably the. You know the, the best player for the opposition. Should have called for a motorbike. Yeah, should have called for something. Yeah, uh, but you know, like that's what happens. You know, to be able to, you know, particularly when you get to the pointy end, the, those teams are full of great players. Michael Long, um, you know, Tim Watson in his comeback. Buick was a it was a dynamo. James Hurd was mm. sort of making his way. Joe Mercedes, Mark McCurry. You know, there's just Jason Johnson. All, all those they had this unbelievable crop. Who, of course went on and, and formed a, a huge basis of that team, that great team in 2000, which went through and only lost one game yeah. for the year. So, you know, they'll be measured as a really good team. Matthew Lloyd, you know, was another one. Young Fletcher. Uh, yeah, Dustin Fletcher, yeah. So, you know, you can we'll probably name, you know, five or six you know, Hall of Famers in, out of that group. So, um, they're a formidable outfit. But as I said, from that moment uh, after that, you know, Graham Corns, what? I got injured in round four of that year. I broke a foot and really didn't play much of a yeah, you role. You played for eleven it. games yeah. for the year. Yep. Yeah, but uh, I think I played the first three, missed maybe ten, and then came back, and it really wasn't right after that. So, uh, and then unfortunately, that, that was Graham Corns' last year. Remarkably, you know, he had one bad season after making the prelim, and and um, he was out. There was a feeling that we needed a Victorian coach, and then. Um, Robert Shaw came in and, and that really didn't work. So 95 and 96 were, you know, disappointing years where we missed the finals again. So, you know, in pretty short space of time, you go from being a youngster coming through and playing in a prelim final and being, you know, a kick away from a grand final in 93 as a 22 or 23 year old. And then all of a sudden you're, you're 27 and you're thinking, is this ever going to happen? Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that, that's probably that sort of sense or feeling we had you know, after Robert Shaw left and Malcolm Blight arrived. That, Can you, you know, give us a bit more on the Robert? Happened. Yeah, well, that was, Robert you were, leading, era, you were yeah. leading me into that a little bit. I was going to ask, uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, uh, Graham Corns, obviously being your first coach, but yeah, why didn't Ro- Robert Shaw quite work out at the Adelaide Footy Club? Even just a bit more balanced, because yeah. I think we just bagged the crap out of him. Because he's Victorian, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, look, I think he, uh, there was high expectation, and I thought, um, he had a lot of he had a lot of expectation on himself as well, and so it just didn't quite work the way he would like. I think it, when he was coaching Fitzroy, he was able to extract every little 
spit out of those players and even if they didn't win they you know they went close and people really respected them but then once you know um the consensus was well you've now got a good team you've got a good bunch of players that can play let's see you do the same with them and make finals and it just it just didn't work he just didn't uh quite sort of gel with the players he um uh you know he, he had lots of different tactics that were confusing at times. He never really settled on one way of playing and that and that sort of didn't help yeah, us. Ironically, so that's exactly that... what Sean Tasker virtually said as mm. well, where Tass said he'd, he'd, he'd start with one thing. If it wasn't working, a quarter later he'd change 180 yeah. degrees. That's it. But the one thing that is probably overlooked with Robert Shaw is he he the the, the the basis or a lot of the, the group of players who ended up playing and being successful in the late 90s really sort of were blooded by Robert Shaw. Um, he he traded quite extensively as well. So, for example, um, Andrew McLeod, Tyson Edwards both debuted in 95. Kane Johnson debuted during that or, or was drafted during that period. They traded to get uh, Darren Jarman back. They traded to get Kim Costa back. They traded to get Peter Shane Allen and also Peter Caven. You know, so um, you know, there's a whole sort of group of players who um, we, we got away from just being South Australians. I guess you know they, we were able to, you know, like Shane Allen and Peter Caven were Victorian guys, and we, you know, um, um, Stanfield was another one, Barry Stanfield, and, and so. You know, like he just took a, a broader view of, you know what, we can't just limit ourselves to being taking South Australians in the draft and trying to bring South Australians who are in Victoria back home. We, we have to actually cast down that a little bit wider. So um, so they did that. And, and I think, you know, we sort of bore the, the benefits of that a little bit later on. So if anyone, you know, sort of is looking for a legacy, I think that will be part of what Robert Shaw sort of left to the footy club. And he gave... Malcolm Blyder, you know, a, a group of players who were capable and um, that had been sort of put together but never really uh, gelled or or got the sort of maximum out of themselves but were primed and ready to go. Was Matty Robin a part of that trade as well during that yeah. period? Uh, Matty, I think. Uh, earlier Matthew on. A little bit earlier? A little bit earlier. Okay, fair yeah. enough, yeah. yeah. He was there in 93, I think. Yeah, so he's in Hawthorne's start, 91, then he played 92, then came back 93, broke his leg in 93. Ah. That's right. Against Sydney, yeah, which was vital. Yeah. Yeah. And and moving on, obviously, to Malcolm Blight, uh, you know, he would have brought a pretty fresh perspective, uh, obviously, coming over from Geelong. Yeah. Yeah, Blighty being Blighty. Yeah. I think from the players' point of view, it was really, you know, there was, um, you know, players that weren't happy with Graham Corns. There were players that weren't happy with Robert Shaw um, for all, you know, wide and varied reasons. And, of course, when you're not winning, you know, of course people aren't happy. <laughs> you know, footy clubs aren't a great place to be at when you're not winning. And so there's, there's a million different reasons. And so when sort of Malcolm was appointed and um, what actually happened was you sort of thought to yourself, well, we're not going to say, you know, this bloke's no good because... He actually knows what he's doing. You know, we'd, we'd seen him take Geelong to three grand finals and, you know, consistently finish at the top of the ladder. We, you'd hear him speak on, he'd been commentating for a couple of years and, you know, he just spoke so much sense. And so 
it really was, you know, we've run out of excuses. We can't keep blaming the coach if it doesn't work. This bloke knows what he's doing. If it doesn't happen now, it's it's clearly us. And yep. so there was you know, that sense of an onus. And, and, and also, of course, a lot of players sort of came to the end of their career at sort of the arrival of Blighty. You know, Chris and Tony and Andrew Jarman were all sort of Greg Anderson. 30 or above and, and that had sort of varied reasons why that they you know weren't going to continue on and Weed was at the end of his career Greg Anderson was just about done as well so we probably lost you know there's five or six or seven guys you know in that 30 age bracket so what it did it just forced that sort of next group of players to say well this is our team now and we'll, we'll take ownership of it and um well, I say, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen on the back of our performance and, and the standards that, that we set. So that was pretty much where our mindset was. And, um, you know, it ended up working really well in terms of spreading the load. We ended up, you know, we had some, you know, really star players, but, you know, pretty even contributions, you know, across the board when you look at it. And, um, you know, from such a, a wide group of, you know, really, really solid players. I think you sort of covered my next question or point a little bit earlier on where we all analyse so much and, you know, and all that. And it's, it's when you win, like, you think back, 97, with probably the game being switched after Lady Di, you know, passing away, start late. You had the, the Lee Colbert mark not paid, mm. the Libba goal, yeah. you know, not given. Yeah. You know, everything sort of seemed to fall our way and it's, it, you know, to quote the great man John Griffin, you know, Griff, you know Griff as well, obviously from yep. South. Griff's favourite line: "There's a fine line between pleasure and pain," and it was just, it just na- nailed that really. When you think of '97, where just everything fell the right way, and you think, mm. even what did we kick? Was it twelve one after half time? Yeah, it's right. one. Fourteen one. Sorry, yeah, yeah. And, and was um, was the training? Uh, ramped up during that period or just prior to that period? With Neil Craig. With Neil yeah, Craig, yeah. Well, I, think, I, think, I think we were pretty fit all year, but there was definitely, you know, just a little bit of loading in the sort of lead up to the finals. But but it, it, you make a great point. Like, the way I describe it is the planets have to align yes. here to win a premiership. And, and and the remarkable part is is pretty much from that sort of from 98 forward, it, it's been the opposite. Every time Adelaide have looked like winning yeah. something – the, 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 you know, like that, you know, Andrew McLeod getting, uh, you know, an infection in his foot, Mark Rashido getting Rugo suspended, getting parvo. You know, yeah. parvo virus, yeah. you know, like then there's, you know, a million different things. There was, you know, late umpiring decisions and all, all a whole range of different things, you know. Um, so it just, it just proves the point. You do need everything to go your way. You need to have all the planets aligning and, and that's what it was like in the build-up. Uh, it's also like that in the game. You like said, fourteen-one and some unbelievable goals, and Shane Allen kicking five, and you know all all those things. You know, we beat North Melbourne the year after. They North Melbourne kicked eight goals, twenty-two, mm-hmm. two goals, eleven in the second quarter. Yeah. You know, all these things, um, you know, fall your way, and and so you know, as prepared as you can be, and as well as you play, and all of that, you still need an element of luck. And the other thing that I, I look back on ninety-seven and ninety-eight, and and sometimes it gets a little bit lost. People look at the team and they say, oh, what an amazing team. You know, had Simon Goodwin in it and it had Tyson Edwards in it. And, yeah, they were kids. You know, but they only played only 50 games. Yeah, they were literally, yeah. Grand so, final so was Goody's 10th game. Yeah. Yeah, 10th game. And, you know, played amazingly. And, and Tyson, you know, had 
had been up and down a little bit, but got in there and was just rock solid and so sure with every every time he touched the ball. And I think that that's the thing. We did, we didn't know it at the time, and we were sort of a bit of a, an unknown quantity. But when you look at that, Edwards, three hundred game superstar, Goodwin goes on to be you know, I think he was a five time All Australian, great yeah. player. Rashudo goes on to be an eight time uh, All Australian, and you know Rennie was just phenomenal. Um, player, you know, Ben Hart, um, unbelievable and um, one of the all-time great defenders. And so, all, you know, Kane Johnson ended up, you know, being club captain at Richmond and, you know, he was a, he was the only teenager in that grand final in the in the first year. So he went on to be, have a long and decorated career as well. So at the time, you had five or six youngsters and you thought, well, you know, are they going to stand up? Well, those young players end up going on to be superstars of the game. So that's probably... You know, um, one of the things we didn't know at the time, uh, and we thought how unbelievable it was. But yeah, when history goes back and has a look at it, we'll say, well, you know what? Those they were pretty handy players in the end, the way they turned out. Because um, and you look through that. I didn't mention Darren Jarman, but you know, and talk about AFL Hall of Fame. You've got I think Nigel Smart, Ben Hart, Darren Jarman, Mark Rashudo, Simon Goodwin. You know, and and, yeah, and and, and Andrew McLeod. Yeah, Andrew McLeod, of course, but you know Tyson Edwards must get in there one day, and and you know there might be one or two others. I don't know, but that's that's a pretty amazing strike rate when you think about how many of you know where all those players come from and how they got put together. You know, it's probably no surprise. You know, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg. You know, when you have success, I think that helps you get those accolades. And of course, Aaron um, Keating and Brett James played in two premierships a week, and geez, and Keats. Keats certainly dominated off ground. Don't worry about on ground, but geez, he, he dominated where it off where it counted off the ground. Mm, so yeah, so it's just a memorable time, isn't it? And it's part of South Australian footy folklore, and it just captured the imagination of uh, our community at that time when we, you know, were predominantly uh, you know Port Adelaide were in their first year, but for so many and for so long, and had been that sort of almost like that state representative side. So you. Been at the uh, top of the mountain two years in a row in 97, 98. 99, it uh, sort of fell apart a little bit. Is it a matter of you guys were just cooked? Absolutely. Sean Wren getting injured. You ever look to, for whatever we say about Robert Shaw, he's nice and unlucky. He didn't have Sean Wren. Sean Mm. Wren comes Mm. back, 97, 98, we win two flags. Does his knee Mm. on the the plate at Footy Park at 99 at the start of the year. And guess what? We bomb again. Mm. I, I, I... I know that's being too simplistic, but I still say, overall, it's a personal opinion. Sean Wren mightn't be our best player, but I still think he's been he the most important in, player in our football yeah. club system. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, no doubt. He, he was such a barometer to our team. But I think like, we trained so hard under Craigie and, and Blighty was a hard taskmaster and he wanted us to get back to that same fitness level. And the other thing that happened, you know, Rennie did his knee, but I think that year we had seven guys have groin operations and... You know, we had blokes with stress fractures. And when you play, uh, you know, a month of finals two years in a row, you're effectively playing nine or ten extra games. Um, intensity, too. Yeah, yeah. And so for those two years, you end up playing 50 games. You know, if you if you just bomb out in the finals, you know, you, you might play 41 or something, you know, so if you bomb out before the finals. So there's that extra intensity. And, and we, we did train really hard and there were high standards. So... It literally all just it just caught up with us, and we had a lot of these cumulative type injuries that, um, that yeah, just robbed us of yeah. our uh, our good players. And then, of course, the other thing that happens when you 
when predominantly you're playing finals and you're a good team and you're playing the same players each round for two years, you don't introduce a whole lot of new players and you don't get great draft picks because you, you know, you're yeah. sort of down the back of the draft. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really have a whole heap sort of coming through. We had, you know, Matthew Clark and Nathan Bassett and Tyson Stenglon and a few of those guys who were just outside the team. But other than that, we had a lot of youngsters who were untried and didn't really end up sort of amounting to, um, you know, some of that sort of star quality that we had in those previous years. Of course, talking of injuries, yourself with uh, over an island uh, breaking your leg with a garlic footy. Yeah, that, not ideal. Um, in the end, it didn't uh, cost me. That was in 2002 and Charlie Walsh was fabulous. He um, got me onto a, a bike riding program and I had a special boot where I was able to ride. And You know, I was actually as fit as any other year in my career. It was my last year. Uh, so, so I did it in October 2002. My last year was 2003 and, and it was as good a year as you know I'd had as you know in terms of I think it might have finished fourth or fifth in the best and fairest and and you know pretty much you know once I got the mobility back in my leg after sort of getting the plastic cast off or the moon boot off and sort of being able to run within a month I was running personal best time so that was you know all down to Charlie's conditioning work that he did and and you know having this Desire to want to make sure that I knew it was going to be my last year to finish on a on a pretty good note, and we got to the finals and we end up running into into Brisbane in Brisbane uh, in a knockout final, and um, yeah, that was just a bridge too far, unfortunately. Yeah, one thing obviously in your career, there's the Daryl Wakeland incident, and I think to this again a personal opinion, it's probably you know to have of your comment on Bix, but I think if if player makes a mistake once in their career, mm. that's what it sort of should be accepted as. If it, if it's a person who Consistently does that. Like, let's be honest, the number eighteen centre forward at Port Adelaide for a while, and and that mm. Port Magpies. Um, if it's something like that, yeah, then the play and like Barmy, Barmy admits he's got to wear wear it of things he did in his career. But you made a mistake. Yes, it was a serious error, mm. but it's once. Mm. It's not like Mark Bickley should not be remembered as a so called mongrel. Yes, Mark Bickley, mm. hard at it, Look, honest, gave everything. Gave everything, huge commitment, left nothing on the track. That's my vision of Mark Bickley. And it was a spur of the moment thing too. Yeah. That's the other thing. You can't, you can't hold it against it's somebody for that. Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm. It, 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 you're right. And But, you know, everything you do, you end up, you have to be accountable for. And, you know, exactly like you were saying, it's something I look back on. And, you know, whilst you, people say, have you got any regrets? You know, the regret is, you know, Daryl getting hurt, obviously, yeah. and, and, you know, doing that. But at the same time, it shapes you as a person and, and um, you know, and it just it changes your perspective of, around, you know, head high injuries and all that sort of stuff. You know, I just, I was devastated after that, unfortunately. And, and look, and in the end, you, you, you know, like people still go shopping and people yell out to me and <laughs> say stuff about that. Yeah. And it is what it is, you know, yeah. like you, it's just something that you have to have to deal with. And it's, you know, I feel worse you know, for Daryl, he's the one that's got to deal with it as well, and he had no fault of his own. He didn't choose for that to happen to yeah, him yeah. either. So, Top load too, but in the end, yeah, a ripping person. Um, but you know, I think for me, uh, and you know, part of the way I played, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the word mongrel. That 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 was part of what I what I brought to the table. You know, you talk about unsociable hawks. Well, the way footy was played, you know, in the in the late. Well, mid to late nineties, everyone was unsociable, you know. Like so, 
beat you. It was it was a pretty it was a brutal game. It was different to what it is now. There was yes. much more physicality, and you actually could go out and look to hurt people. You know, there was no if you you know this, we talk about the sling tackle now. If you tackled someone and smashed them into the turf and knocked them out, well, that was, was a, a great. It was a badge of honour. Exactly yeah, because they were they were one short and and similarly if someone was running and chasing and you could bump them in a shepherd and and hurt them you know that was part of the course and I think we all see you know Mark Rashido bumping, bumping Dean Kemp, Kemp and you yeah. look at that and it's brutal but yeah. that was part of the course you know and and Michael Voss running into uh, Alan Richardson all all those huge hits were part of the game in actual fact that'd be the highlights package at the Brownlow Medal you know yeah. how many both could run through blocks. It was just the way the game was. We didn't know what we didn't know at that stage around concussion and, and some of those injuries. So, uh, yeah, you know, so it's always, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses, but, you know, I played on, on the edge and that one there was clearly, you know, stepping way over the edge of the line, but there was just a tougher and harder edge to the way footy was played, you know, that bit of context to it, I guess. As we said, a bit of a spur of the moment thing, and yeah, it's not what you'll be remembered for, mate, especially in our eyes. Mate, we'll change tact a little bit. Um, you stepped into the coaching box. Uh, how was that experience? Yeah, it was really good. Um, it was well before I was sort of ready or, um, uh, you know, really had the tools to do it permanently. Uh, but the um, the whole idea was for me, uh, you know, Neil Craig had approached me after I'd been working in the media and was to come and sort of do a bit of an apprenticeship um, with Neil as an assistant coach and if the time ever arose where that had success and they were sort of looking for a succession plan that I, I sort of might be that person to, to take over but as it happened you know pretty much 18 months into that sort of what we thought was going to be a four or five year journey um, you know Neil's message had fallen a bit flat and he decided he wanted to walk away so you know, I had six games to um to do that at the end of the year and, and really enjoyed it. It was it was quite a tumultuous period. Three and three, Bix. You had a winner, first game, a win in a showdown. And yep. there was one other thing. It's always bemused me, and, I'm, and that you moved Sean McKernan to centre-half back, and he succeeded mm. at centre-half back. Why? That never happened again in Sean McKernan's career. Has me absolutely <laughs> beat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one because it, I, you know, most people think it's easier to play in defence than it is in attack, and sometimes Sean did overthink it a bit. Uh, and I remember, well, once again, you know, sometimes necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think that day Ben Rutten might have pulled out with a virus, and so we just needed to find, uh, you know, a big tall player to play in defence. And I think James Podsy Adley was in really good form, so I think Sean played on James. Um, in that match and, and like you said did really well and, and Geelong were a powerhouse at that stage I think we only lost by not that much so that was you know a really good performance that game and then I think we might have went to Brisbane and won up in Brisbane but um, then you know I was just saying it was, it was a tumultuous period because the expansion teams were coming in and Nathan Bock and, and um, uh, Phil Davis, Davis. You know, they were being wooed away. Jack Gunston came in the mob and said, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, so there was a fair bit going on around the footy club. So um, whilst it was, uh, you know, I was enjoying it, there was there was a whole heap of stuff that was going on behind the scenes which made it really challenging. And then we're also telling players, you know, that they, they weren't going to be there next year. So 
unfortunately, you know, you think about coaching and all the good things, all the good things is around, you know, sort of winning and preparing for the season and all that. I didn't, didn't quite get all that, but I've got some of the crappy stuff at the end, unfortunately, and, you know, telling blokes their careers over and, um, you know, and having to um, talk to players as, as they wanted to sort of go out the door. So in the end, um, love the experience, but, you know, when you, when you think about, uh, who was going to be the next coach? It was never going to be me, realistically. You know, on the back of, you know, a very short apprenticeship compared to someone like Brendan Sanderson, who had been at Geelong, and Geelong had been the best team in the competition by some margin, and he'd been sort of the right hand man to um, to Bomber Thompson. So that made a lot of sense, and and I ended up staying around and and um, you know becoming really good friends with Brendan, and and you know that first year that that he coached was just outstanding and, you know, but for an amazing Hawthorne team, we end up a kick away from... Mm. And, a couple of shocking, and a couple of shocking umpires. I'm waiting for the whistle for the 50 to Dangerfield. The umpire will get around to blowing that any any second. Yeah, well, uh, in actual fact, Jeff Geeson came and saw us the week after and he apologised and said that was the yeah. worst umpire's game. I think they do this thing, expected free kicks and missed oh. free kicks, and we were minus 14, I think. We were something yeah. unbelievable. We got crucified. And and he said, well, but rest assured, don't worry. Those the umpires that umpired your game will definitely not be umpiring the grand final. I remember Brendan Sanderson saying, "Well, well, thanks, yes. but that doesn't help yeah. me out a lot." And and that aside, unfortunately, the next couple of years didn't quite work out, and and it was just a tumultuous period again with the tippet of uh, him leaving the club, the club getting sanctioned. Uh, which which forced our hand a little bit with Bernie Vince, you know, to try and yeah. trade someone with some currency to get back into the first round to get Matt Crouch, who we'd had an eye on. Um, then there was, you know, Stephen Trigg was suspended, so we had the CEO, and then Dean Bailey became ill with the, you know, in the preseason of yeah. the the following year, and unfortunately, that um, ended tragically for everyone. Yeah. So the only year that sort of Brenton had. We had his full sort of force of coaches and, and the full support of the club was they finished in the prelim and the other years there was all this other stuff going yeah. on that he really wasn't really settled as a coach and in the end it sort of it cost him and um, they decided to look somewhere else. Yeah, we really think of you, he's pretty unlucky really. Mm. Now Bix, you've certainly mm. done a little bit of everything since uh, footy yeah. uh, with TV, radio, seven years with Rowie, you probably deserve a medal for that as it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, assistant coaching and all that, just Go through that side of things with a bit of everything. Yeah, I look. I, I just um, I've always sort of been involved in the media. Even when, when I was playing, I was sort of doing stuff on TV. And then when I finished, I ended up sort of you know reading the news on Channel Nine. So after being sort of lured back into coaching, and then when Sando got the sack, it was I still had a year to go on the contract, but I was just a little bit disillusioned because that year I remember thinking. Um, was five coaches sacked in the one year, and it was Bill McKenna, and I think it was Brendan McCartney from the Bulldogs, and then it was Sando, and it was one or two others. And I just sort of felt like I'd always had aspirations of being a senior coach one day, and I feel like, you know what, they're, they're not really treating the coaches very well. And, you know, what if I spend seven or eight years or nine years and I move all around the country to become a senior coach, and then after two years, if it doesn't work, they just throw you on the scrap heap. So I was, I was just sort of feeling a little bit disillusioned with that AFL coaching scene. And so, and, and an opportunity came, you know, I was approached to do some stuff on Double A, and I thought, you know what, you know, when um, a, a great friend of mine um, 
we were having this discussion around it and, and it was it was assistant coaching is really taxing time wise and stress and all that sort of stuff and and I was telling him oh, I want to you know I want to really sort of I want to really test myself as a senior coach and he said when's enough going to be enough you know then if you, the minute you become a senior coach you're going to want to keep doing it until you win a flag and then when you win one you'll want to do it another you know at what stage do you put other things that are important in your life sort of first? And it was it was a really enlightening discussion. And um, and he was right. And I sort of thought, you know what, you know, forget about putting yourself first and trying to achieve what you want to do and making that the number one priority. Like, what about just doing something that enables you to lead a bit more of a balanced life? And, and it was a great decision, really. And, and that's what sort of being in the media does. You still go to the game, you still have an involvement, you're still doing something you love doing, but you're just not sort of flogging yourself, you know, for 50, 60 hours a week and, and missing out on sort of important times with family and friends. And, and that's still, that challenge is still as relevant today as it ever has ever been. You know, there's so many yeah. good people that are sort of moving out of the, the coaching industry. And it's one of the big challenges facing all AFL clubs at the moment. So, yeah, so worked on AA, done some TV on Fox Footy and, and all that. And, and yeah, really enjoy it. Sort of all care, no responsibility type stuff compared compared to coaching. And at least it's giving you still the chance to watch your kids on a Saturday morning and, and coaching exactly. Coach, and coaching know, Emmanuel, yeah, carry on Emmanuel. Mm. Have, you, have you enjoyed that, coaching Emmanuel? Yeah, I oh, love it. I love it because um, I'm coaching the first 18 yep. at the moment. And so you've got, you know, 16 and 17 and 18-year-old boys who are, you know, the school footy is great because a lot of them have, you know, spent three or four or five years playing together. And, you know, some of the good players are playing at sample level and, and they enjoy that. But playing with your mates is something really special. And there's this sort of, obviously, this collegiality about it. There's the, the intercol and the rivalry and all those great things. And, and then you've got, you know, perhaps four or five guys right at the pointy end who, you know, hopefully you're going to be able to steer them and give them an opportunity to, to go as far as they can with their footy. And, and this year we had young Phoenix Foster get drafted to yeah, Geelong. Nord, which was real, Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, he's got some great attributes and he's, he's got some other areas that he really needs to work on as well. But, you know, doing some work with him this year and getting him some other specialist coaching, you know, called Peter McIntyre, who who played at the Crows in year yep. one. He's been doing some work with our big tall players. Sam Jacobs comes out and does some work with our, our tools and our rucks as well. So getting some of those, some specialist coaching for those young guys, in the, in the, particularly in the positions they play, you've seen him improve in leaps and bounds. So that's really rewarding when you feel like you've had some small involvement in sort of getting them to, you know, pointing in the right direction of where they want to go. So um, really sort of enjoying that that sort of, um, involvement that I have with the, that sort of age bracket there is great fun. So, big, you know, it's been some pretty significant awards over the years, and it'd be negligent not for us to mention those. So, the South Australian Footy Hall of Fame in two thousand seven, Australian Football Hall of Fame two thousand nine, the Adelaide Team of the Decade, and Adelaide Football Club Hall of Fame in two thousand in uh, twenty one. You know, some some reflections there, Mark. Yeah, oh, look, I'm, it's a hard one to comment I'm, personally. Yep. Well, I'm humbled by all yeah. of it, you know, because I, you know, the Australian Football Hall of Fame, it's it's ludicrous for for me because I just feel like there are, there's it's, it's such a there's a thousand people that could be in that Hall of Fame, you know, and 
And I think on the night in my acceptance speech, I uh, this is really about as much about um, the Adelaide Football Club winning its first premiership and yeah. and you know and yep. helping steer that um, playing a role in that and having that leadership position you know through those first two years and um, as much as anything because you know like there's there's other people that have far better records but in the end uh, I think the criteria is around how you sort of shaped the game or impacted the game and uh, and so you know I'm I'm not um, by any stretch thinking that you know I'm better than a thousand other players like I said there's, there's many more many that could be in before me but I'm just you know you just for the privilege and I'm not going to argue with the people who who selected that well, so yeah, don't knock it though Bix don't knock yeah, it though like I'll say from an Nord perspective, I, I know we. It was twenty-one years where we tried to get Michael Taylor in. So, hey, don't knock it, Vicks. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just so great, grateful, and and similarly with those other attributes. You know, the the Hall of Fame at the Adelaide Football Club and and the life membership at the Adelaide Footy Club. It, it's it's a huge sense of belonging. You know, it's um, you know as much as I'm so thankful to the South Adelaide Football Club for the opportunity they gave me. If someone says to me, you know. Which team do you do you, do you attach yourself to? I'm an Adelaide Football Club person. Yeah. That's my team because that's where I spent, you know, close to 20 years. You know, 13 as a player and six as a coach. I think it is, and, and so they're my team. That's my that's who I feel like I belong to, and 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 so you know the relationships with the people that that started the club that been stalwarts at the club, you know, the fact that I'm still welcome to walk into the place now and Matthew Nix and his crew are doing great things and um, and invite the past players down there as often as we can and, and so, you know, that, that gives me great pride and, you know, and I love nothing better than walking down there with my two boys and, and we go and watch training and people come up and say good day and shake their hands and and they feel like they're a part of something as well. So it's just, it's a really special feeling for me with the footy club. Five kids, two bigs, so they're busy there. <laughs> well, they love their footy, which is great. Um, yes. And yeah, like they're just, they're going to hopefully write their own story and whatever level that gets them to, as long as they enjoy it, that's, that's the main thing. So that's, that's my message yep. to them. And um, yeah, they're both very different. And um, who knows where it's going to take them. Mate, uh, you're certainly part of the uh, patchwork quilt of the uh, Adelaide Footy Club and um, we've enjoyed having a bit of a chat to you tonight and taking a bit of a trip down memory lane. Uh, we'd be remiss not to uh, promote, obviously, your new radio gig. <laughs> yes, well, I'm, I'm teaming up with Gary Walsh. He's the only bloke busier than, than most at the moment. He's, he's, he's footy, he's the world game football, he's, uh, he's the 36ers, he's cricket. cricket he's, yep. I saw him doing some stuff with beach volleyball the other day. He's at a tour down under. He's he's missed the sport in South Australia, so him and I are doing breakfast on SEN. I'm kicking off um, on February the 14th, so um, we'll be looking forward to doing that. And, uh, yeah, it's, once again, it's a privileged position to be in where you get to talk about sport and, and take the pulse of the state sort of every morning. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to doing that. Fantastic. Mate, we uh, have loved chatting to you. We will obviously be listening on SEN uh, for some of those comments in the morning on the way to work. And um, Mark Bigley, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Greatly appreciated, Bix. Always enjoyed seeing you on a Saturday morning as well and obviously speaking to you over the years on uh, on AA.
No, no, I appreciate the interest. A quick one other point too I do want to add. It's always a yep. bugbear of mine of the publicity which sports people get for the bad, you know, things off mm. the ground, off the ground and that show. It's very rarely to get the footballers and sportsmen get mentioned for how much they do for the charity side of things. I'll be honest, I've yeah. contacted Bix a couple of times, bang, in straight away, uh, you know, couple of fundraisers we've done, you know, and that sort of thing should get far more publicity than what it does. I'm talking overall there, Mark. Mm, no, look, you're right. And, um, you know, most players give of their time generously and, and like, so they, they most of them realise it is a privileged position and, and they grew up idolising people and, and so they sort of give back fairly well and there are some that do it better than others, you know, and, you know, recently, whether it's Bokey or Taylor Walker or Rory Sloan, there's just some amazing people, you know, who use their profile in the right way. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. But in the end, that's that's the lot you, you take on when you, you're a footy player. And if you can give back and use that position well, that's, that's I think that's, that's something that's a privileged position to be in. Mate, just quickly before we let you go, how do you think the Crows and Port will go this year? Uh, I, I think Port will do better than Adelaide. Um, I think they're, uh, towards the end of last year, you know, they they started to sort of hit their straps. I think that Lysette coming back in will help. I think Horn Francis and, you know, one of either um, Junior Rioli or, or um, Fantasia. Arachio Fantasia will give them, you know, or both will give them a bit of bite. That small forward they probably lacked a little bit last year. So, I think Port will be in the bottom half of the top eight. Mm-hmm. Adelaide, I'm not sure. It's really difficult to get a read on Adelaide. Um, I think they certainly improved with bringing Rankin into the side. You know, where he plays uh, is going to be interesting. You know, they're talking midfield, but I think I think it's probably going to be more sort of Tom Papley midfield than Mocky Neal midfield, if you sort of get what I mean. And yep. so there'll be some, some spurts in there. But I think you're going to want him close to goal because... That's where he does it. That's where he's most dangerous. You know, if he has ten possessions and kicks four goals, sort of Charlie Cameron style, that's going to be much better than him being on the ball a bit and having twenty-five possessions. You know, and not kicking any goals. You know, because there's other players that can do that. So, I still think his best footy will be, you know, around the the forward line, and that's where he he's going to win games for you. So, I think they're going to try and strike that balance. Um, and and I think some of the other younger players will improve, but. You know, my, you know, in terms of pushing up into the eight, I'm just not, not sure they're there yet. And when you look at most of the sides in the top eight, I think they've all improved. You know, Brisbane, uh, Geelong, um, who else is up there? Sydney, you know, a good young team that made the grand final. I think they're also organically get better. And so Richmond. I think Adelaide will improve. Yeah, Brisbane, you've done really well. But will they, can Adelaide improve more than the other the top eight teams or in actual fact the 13 teams that, that finished in front of them so that's the challenge for Adelaide and in my mind you know the 23 rounds I think Adelaide will play 13 games in South Australia so you know that's that's a bit of a bonus for them as well so you would think they win you know between 8 and 12 games I reckon and yep. if they win any less than that they'd be really disappointed and if they're in the top part of that, around 11 or 12, I think that's probably where they'll be aiming. So just they need to take another step forward, basically. They, they can't yeah. afford to mark time. As they, always, the voice of reason, Bix. Sorry? As always, the voice of reason. Yeah, so that's, that's what I think it'll yeah, end up. No, I'd agree. I'm I still... saying if things go well, they can't finish in the eight, but I just yeah. think the, 
the more likely outcome is that sort of nine, ten, eleven wins. I still think a lack of a, you know, I think they probably still lack a key defender, a bit short. Probably mm. uh, we're only average in ruck and lack and lack probably still a bit of class in midfield. Yeah. Mm, couldn't agree more. All right, mate, we better let you get out of here. You've probably got uh, five no. kids running around going, yeah. where, where have you been <laughs> yeah, for the last fine. hour? But, mate, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate that, guys. See ya. Greatly appreciate it, Bix. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. Happy days. All right, mate, we move into happy days. So this week, happy birthday, Connor Rosie. He's pretty special for mine. He's, I, I think the potential of him, Butters and James Horn and Horn Francis. It's scary, isn't it? Really? Oh, it is. That could just be the dynamic trifecta. Uh, obviously recruited from the North Adelaide Footy Club. Yep. Um, uh, you know, showed some some promises as a Oh, as a don't junior. worry. I still have nightmares of his game against Nord in the 2018 GF. He was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, slowly building, uh, obviously, last year, chucking him into the midfield and uh, hasn't looked back since. He's a potential Brownlow medalist for mine. Uh, agreed. All right, mate, we move on. Uh, this week in 1977, Imran Khan takes six for 63 in Australia's second innings. 12 wickets for the game, eight wicket, easy win. Look, he was... Imran Khan's one of the world's great all-rounders. It was picked either on either. He's a true all-rounder that he he averaged over forty with a bat, mm-hmm. twenty-four with a ball. I think uh, I'd have to double check that. Yep. It's off the top of the head. Um, but he was he was an incredible cricketer. Oh, geez, don't worry. Definitely love watching him play. That's for oh, sure. And did he have a fantastic record off the ground in terms of? Uh, the yep. female variety as well. Fair enough. And and that third test was played in Sydney. That must have been before the rain started to come, possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's Adelaide. taken eight wickets, uh, sorry, six wickets to get them all out to win by eight wickets. Adelaide, Australia are a bit unlucky not to get out with a draw. You would have thought it would have at least rained for three or four days. You never so. know. But, yeah, Imran Khan, a uh, total legend and uh, had Australia on the back foot that day, that's for sure. Uh, mate, uh, tennis, uh, we'll stick with tennis in 1981. Um, this week, uh, Bjorn Borg plays Ivan Lendl in um, the ATP Tour Master Final at Madison Square Gardens. Once again, we talked about his first win last yeah. week. He beats Ivan Lendl 6-4, Look, one <laughs> of the all-time greats versus a very, very, very good player. Yeah, but Bjorn Borg, yeah. another Another level another again. Level. Uh, the thing about you remember at Lendl is he just go, go, go. I mean, yeah. he's like the Energizer Bunny yes. at, at times. Battery, yeah. You know, he yep. just kept going, back. especially here in Australia during those uh, those years where there wasn't really a heat policy uh, yeah. he, and we'd get those 40-degree days in Melbourne and he'd just go all he'd day long. Oh, yeah. uh, unreal. Uh, mate, uh, sticking with the tennis in 1991, uh, the longest match at the Australian Open. Now, I had to double-check this because we thought Leighton might have been the one that yeah. we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but no, this is actually right. Um, at the Australian Open, Boris Becker beats Italy's Omar Camparisi in five hours and 11 minutes. Extraordinary. That's, five, over five hours. That's incredible. That it? is crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about some long matches going along, but, you know, most people have gone and done a day's work, to yeah. work in five or six hours, so it's yeah. pretty fair effort. And, mate, to finish off uh, this week in uh, the year 2000, Michael Jordan, who led the Chicago Bulls to six NBA championships, he returns to the NBA, but as a part-time owner of the Washington Wizards. Well, let's 
Let's face it, Michael Jordan for mine. He could have just walked on water and did whatever he liked. So he, he certainly could. He, he's my number one. I, you know, I'm probably a bit biased. I'm a no. I think I'm I'm there I'm, with I'm with Jordan with probably Kobe. They certainly uh, are up there. That's for sure. It's just record in the crunch was just ridiculous. And six NBA championships oh. is just just uh, fantastic. Freak. All right, mate. We'll scoot into the big finish. Extra time. Just having a little bit of a look over the SNFL, we'll just touch base with the SNFL. A couple of teams have obviously got some players coming into their their squads this year. We'll start off with Glenelg. The most notable is Brett Turner back from the Crows. Yeah, amusing. The way he's been treated for mine and, yeah, just bizarre how he hasn't been Give it another year. I just don't get that one whatsoever. Because for mine, he's got actual sheer ability. He's he's above the honest battler, which I think Adelaide have way too many they, of. They needed, yeah. Uh, we're moving to North Adelaide. Sam Mays and Jesse White. Yeah, Sam Mays, you know, very, 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 very good SNFL player. So he's a big recruit for North Adelaide. Jesse White's an interesting one. I'm 35 years of age. It's, look, it's got the ability, but it's whether the body will keep up. Who knows? An interesting It call. is an interesting call. Uh, we move on to Nord, mate. Probably one that we know more about than anything else. Jackson Callow and Jack Saunders coming back. Yeah, look, we were very surprised at Nord that Jack Saunders played the last minor round. Very surprised he got delisted. Played the last minor round game. Made his debut against Western Bulldogs down in Tasmania. Played very well. And, yeah, got delisted. But very happy to have him back at Nord. Kid can play. And Jackson Callow... A lot of ability. Yep. Um, probably didn't get as much opportunities at Hawthorne as he could have, but didn't probably grab it by the horns either. So, yep. but yeah, look, he looked very good in his short time at SNFL previously. He looked pretty special. So. Absolutely. Well, Nord yep. can certainly better. And mate, just a name that I haven't heard a lot of, and 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 you might be able to fill me in is Ethan Haylock. Yeah, from Woodville West Tyrants. Yep. Um, look, Nord are pretty happy to get him aboard. It's. They're a couple, there's a couple from South on board as well. Yep. Um, yeah, just wait and see. Yeah, paint him, lad as yes, well. So yes. you know that's why it stood out to me. Yep. And I'm like, I don't know a lot about him, but uh, you being around the Paintham scene a little bit more than what I would be, you might have come across him. So yeah, look, he's. I think he's got a bit to offer. Um, it's, it's interesting also to the Nord with Jade Jade's connections in Tasmania. There's yes, a few from think, there again. Yes. So. There's a lot of coming together. There's a few new players to have a look at as well. Yep. Sturt, mate, Marty Frederick from Port Adelaide and Charlie Parker. Yes, Charlie back. Uh, know Charlie pretty well from Adelaide Uni. So, um, Charlie, long kick. Unluckily did a hamstring last year, so he didn't really get that much opportunities at at the dogs. His body let him down a bit, but he can, he's got a lot of really beautiful kick. Um, son of Skittle. And uh, brother of Max and the boys, so that's probably a couple of extra likes for the show this week. <laughs> um, yeah, Fredericks is quick, yep. pace, run, carry. Probably an area Sturt we're lacking a little bit in. So yeah, he he could be pretty pretty could, important. Could be interesting on a, a um, heavy Unley Oval. See how we go. Yeah, uh, and uh, Woodville West Torrens, James Rowe obviously returns. Bit unlucky at the Crows, really, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. He'd still be on my list. How how lucky, how he's not still on the list and Lockie Murphy, how he's off the list and Lockie Murphy's still on it for mine's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not at Nord, but yes. It is what it is. 
Yes, Jody didn't want to drive him to uh, that. So yes, but trust me, that's been an interesting talking point at the Roe household for many years. Fair enough. So, um, you know, other side, South Adelaide have picked up a few. Yep. Uh, and that, so there's been a bit of turn. There's always turnover. Turnover, yeah. Plenty of turnover, and it's it's really a bit of a guessing game. You've just got to wait and see. But I know South are pretty happy in that regard at this stage, so... Yep. Yeah. I mean, Nord have had a lot of turnover. Do you think that's going to help or harm them a little bit? I mean, the quality coming in and the quality going out is about the about the same, yeah, maybe slightly better. Better, slightly better. I yep. think slightly more depth. Yep. You know, I I think it was significant to, I, I admit it's something person, as a stats person, I still haven't done yet and mean to check. I'd like to know when the last time an SNFL Premier hasn't made the finals in the reserves. Normally, normally they two coincide, and you yep. really want your reserves team playing in September. Firing, so, yep. for Nord to have won the flag when when we struggled in the reserves was it was interesting and not good. So, I think overall we've hopefully got a bit more depth. Yep. We talked with Rocky Roberts last year about how successful they were, you know, through the eighties there, and um, and having both oh. sides, you know, in the finals as well. So, yeah, very very important. Obviously, it goes a long way to the uh, Stanley. Stanley um, Hill Cup totals? Yes. Yes, so, yeah, well, the 85-86 reserve side where the 86 grand final was a cliffhanger at the opening bounce when Nord won by 102 points. So, trust me, we were probably celebrating about the five-minute mark of the first quarter. Yep. Now, it's um, Paul Seedsman. Yeah, looking at the AFL, uh, concussion has obviously been a hot topic with us over quite a few episodes that we've done so far, and to hear this week that he's going to be sidelined for another year because of it. Uh, and it looks, like, it looks like Marcus Adams with Brisbane will be as well. Yep. Um, I don't think either of those two will ever play again. Um, so, again, it's just highlighting the issue and it's – yeah, it's – it's sad it's that a it's come to tragedy. this. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's not exactly what um, what the Crows would have liked at the moment and nor Paul Seedsman. Yeah. Um, and it was just a, apparently an innocuous training accident and that's as easy as it can yeah. be. That's, that's just unreal. It's a fine line. It's unreal. Yeah. Uh, will Sydney yeah. fall after last year's demolishing? I don't think they will. I think they'll be younger side than that and I th- still think there's a fair bit to come through. They're there with you know Chad Warner, very good last year. Yep. I think he's got enough to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan Stevens took a positive step. Yep, hopefully another step. Uh, obviously a bit of bias there. Yep, but uh, you know I, I think they'll be better than that. And you know I think the other thing with Geelong, um, I think they've recruited too well. I, you know to fall away. Yeah, yes, that was going to be my next question. Do you think that they might just fall away a little bit? Look, losing Selwood's big, but... You've still got Dangerfield as the spiritual leader. Yeah, but also, you know, recruiting the boy from Gold Coast, you know, pick six, trying to think of the name, memory blank there. Yeah, me too. Um, So, yeah, they've recruited well, though, so we'll probably cover that a bit more properly. Uh, Bix talked about, obviously, uh, during our interview about the planets aligning. Uh, Certainly did for Geelong last year. You know, Tyson Stengel comes into the team. They recruit a couple of others and they turn uh, little nuggets into uh, massive gold gold nuggets along the way and what a grand final it was. Yeah, grand final day was a bit, you know, anticlimactic. But, you know, the game against Collingwood could have gone either way for Geelong and Collingwood. And then... 
Yeah, yeah but grand final, they just, yeah. Found another level yep, and uh, Sydney weren't quite up to it. Cycling, uh, the um, Tour Down Under is well and truly underway. What do you think so far? Oh, fantastic. I've, I've actually been, a, I went in last night to have a look. Um, yeah, going over the bridge there oh, was yeah. fantastic. Oh, jeez, I'd struggle to keep. I'd need. I'd struggle to keep up in my car with them. Um, went in and had a look at the tour down under village on Sunday, and picked up one of the bikes with my right index finger. Spoke to the guy there. Twenty three thousand dollars that bike was, and they'd sold three on Sunday. So, wow. Yeah, it was. In, it was. It was really worth it to have a look. You know, as a person, I'm not a. You know, probably this. Cycling, a little bit of a typical South Australian, you know, for a month or so. Yep. But I thought on Sunday, I'd just go and have a look. I've never done it before, and I'd strongly advise anyone to go and have a look because it is really well worth it. Yep. And I'm not a cycling nut, but it was fascinating to have a look. The uh, the amount of teams and the amount of people that are coming from interstate just to watch this race yeah. is just huge. And you can see by the TV coverage, you know, they're getting every little angle that they possibly can, and Viewers can't get enough of it, let alone the spectators who are lining the street. Tanunda this, this afternoon was absolutely chock-a-block full, which is great, great not only for, for the businesses, but for tourism in that area. And obviously they move around the state and do different areas, and it's going to be exactly the same down south and up in the hills and so on and so on. It's fantastic. I looked chatting to people last night. It was actually hard to find a South Australian. Wow. You know, and, that. and it was quite interesting how many people from overseas were about. Not a great book-selling environment, I might add. No, fair yes, enough. Yes. Wrong crowd, unfortunately, yes, but yes. that's okay. Yes. Um, Australia's Grace Brown uh, leading the final day's results, um, um, but uh, the Australian uh, who had the leader's jersey was uh, Alexandra Manley. Yeah, so they're great results. In Absolutely. Terms of, you know, and it, it's a pr- very significant result. I don't think we realised how big it was with women's cycling yep. in terms of where where the event sat. Well, and it and was the first time, time that they had uh, status for this event. And it, so it's been a bit of an education for for us as well. But, yeah, no, it's been – it is a huge event. From memory, uh, Australia uh, had six out of the top ten, I believe. So, you know, certainly around the mark and obviously being in our home state uh, – sorry, yeah, home country uh, makes a huge, huge difference. Um, the men's leader, Italian Alberto Bettiola, there you go, uh, has the leader's jersey after day day two at the uh, Barossa Valley. Yeah, again, just eye-opening with how quick they go. Oh, oh. Last night in the rain, or just before the rain, the average speed was 52 or 59 kilometres an hour, and that's going through War Memorial Drive oh. and everything else. Um, I, I did say to one of the policemen there, come on, show a bit of courage, get out and give him a speeding ticket. <laughs> Fair enough, too. Uh, obviously, the uh, Tour Down Under continues for the next couple of days, but, um, yeah, it's a fantastic event, and I must admit I'm taking a little bit more of an interest in it this year than I probably have in the last few. Yeah, I'll go and have a look on Friday. At, at Nord? Nord. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'll have to watch out for the traffic. All right, mate, we move on. Um, the baseball, uh, the Adelaide Giants have got um, a couple of home games this weekend that are vital to where they finish the season. Yeah. So the start of the final round this week, we're playing Geelong Korea. Korea, yes. Yep. Um, we're one game in front. We went down with a close one last weekend, which would have kept that two-game buffer. Yep. 
So you're one game in front, so it's it's a huge weekend. Certainly for finals aspirations to get a home final, that's the one they really need to get up this weekend. Um, I saw the viewership for Geelong Korea. Um, it was going to be something like half a million, uh, sorry, quarter of a million people were going to be tuning into this game Which or is, this series. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's probably an area we don't really realise, but the alignment, where, how important it is. Yes, we just sort of think, yeah, well, they're Geelong and they're called Geelong Korea. Well, no, it's way bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, you look at the MLB, it's very, very popular worldwide. Obviously, for, for obvious reasons, it is the number one league in the world. But you know, to get a quarter of a million eyes on Adelaide uh, this weekend can only be a good thing as well, not only for the tourism side of it, but obviously the baseball is part of what they want. But they love their baseball too. Yeah. That's the other thing. So, you know, um, Geelong Career will come here obviously looking to spoil Adelaide's party, but uh, we want that top spot and we want a home final the following week. Very much so. Yeah. All right, mate, we've covered once again a huge episode. We thank Mark Bickley for his time earlier on and our interview with him was absolutely fantastic and uh, what a great media personality, but obviously a great guy and great footballer as well. Yeah, no, Bix was great as expected. That does us for tonight and as usual, mate, we promise to do better. or We try to anyway. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, folks. Thank you. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.